You are listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Good morning, Mission family. Uh, my name is Brian. I'm part of the teaching team here, and it's uh, definitely a privilege to open God's Word to you today. We're going to be continuing this uh, three-part series that we've been doing on the temptation of Christ as found in Matthew chapter 4, and today will be the uh, sort of third temptation, the concluding portion of it. Um, I was thinking, though, as I was preparing for this, because I've had this question over the last couple weeks, and you might have had this question as well. Why in the world did Jesus need to face temptation? I mean, Satan must have known what was going to happen, right? I mean, after all, this is God himself. There's, you know, there's really no way that this was going to go down any differently than it did. But when we look, um, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, I think points to a little bit of why this is really important that it happened. It says there, This high priest of ours, referring to Jesus Christ, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings or temptations that we do, yet he did not sin. So there's two pieces of this that are really important. One is the fact that Jesus Christ, God, through him, has an ability to feel, recognize, experience what we've experienced, what we're feeling, and in that, we have somebody that that is uh, able to meet us right where we're at because he's experienced what we're going through. Then more importantly even, the only way that we could be restored to right relationship with God is that there is a perfect sacrifice in our behalf. And so the fact that Christ went through life, experienced temptation, but did not sin meant that he was able to eventually end up on the cross taking on the sins of the entire world. So this, I, this experience that happens with um, Jesus being tempted by Satan in this passage is really important to the whole gospel message. Um, so this is week three. Week one, uh, Jason kicked off our series, and it was uh, it shared in that series about uh, Jesus had been in the wilderness fasting and praying for 40 days and 40 nights, and Satan comes to him and tempts him to turn stones into bread. The first temptation is this temptation to be relevant, to do things that make a difference, even if it's not God's will in our life. Uh, the second week, Taylor shared, and it was on the uh, uh, temptation, Satan takes Jesus to the high point of the temple and says, if you jump off, you know the scriptures say that the angels will come and catch you. It's okay, you can do that. And Jesus' response is to say, but it also says that you're not to uh, test the Lord your God. And it's that temptation to do something spectacular, right? And today we're going to look at the third temptation. And we're going to be, I'll read through the passage again. I know we've done it each of the last two weeks, but I think it's helpful. So we're going to read together uh, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. So Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told them, No, the Scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. So I'm going to do something different today that I've never done before, is that when I was preparing this message, I really felt like there were four legitimate interpretations of what this third temptation of Christ is. So you may be listening today and think, I'm wrong on three of them and only one of them is right. Or you may think that all of them have something that helps you understand and grasp what it is that God has for us in this passage. So the first way of interpreting this third temptation is that it's the temptation to avoid difficulty. Satan takes Jesus up to this high place and he says to him, he promises him that all he sees can be his. And when you think about that, the reality is Jesus has every right to this world, right? I mean, after all, we know that he was there with the Father at the creation of the world. That's the description that we get in John chapter 1. So this is his. Why can't he just have it? And we also know that God's promised that uh, it eventually will be all his, right? That's the message, the prophecy that we find in Revelation where it describes Jesus as the Lamb of God on the throne with people of every nation and tongue and tribe surrounding him saying, worthy is the Lamb. So you, you have this picture, you know eventually it all will be his. So all Satan is doing right here is offering a shortcut, He's offering a quick way to get done what, you know, it's going to happen anyway. But God's way, God's plan is that in order for Jesus to be, uh, to receive glory, he first had to suffer. And then he would be glorified. Satan is offering him the world without the crucifixion. And you say, well, well, what's wrong with that? I mean, obviously, that wasn't God's plan, so that's sort of the first big thing that's wrong with it. But much more than that, the world was not in a place to become Christ. The world has a problem uh, that had not been addressed, and that problem was man's sin in the fallenness and brokenness of this world. And without Christ's death on the cross, the world could not be in a place where it could be Christ, at least not in the terms that God desired. God's desire for us is to be in right relationship with him. And that's only possible when our sin is paid for. The bad things that we do, the disobedience we have of God, those things require a consequence. And it's only when that is taken care of, when when we repent, when we ask for forgiveness, that we can be in right relationship. So if Jesus had fallen for this temptation, the temptation of a shortcut, God's plan would have been destroyed. Got me thinking about a question for you and I. How often are we tempted 
by a shortcut that avoids difficulty. Right? I know that eating right and exercise will help me lose weight, but man, I want to take a shortcut and do something different, right? Um, I know that this person that I'm seeing is the, the person that God has for me, so it's okay that we're sexually active and not married, right? We, make, we want to do these shortcuts because we want to avoid difficulty. So the first temptation is the temptation to avoid difficulty, the first interpretation of this passage. Second one, maybe, maybe I was wrong on the first one. Maybe it's this one instead, right? It's the temptation to idolatry, right? Idolatry just means anything that we make more important in our lives than God. So something else that we worship, right, rather than God. And we can see in the response that Christ gives that this is the interpretation, right, of this passage. Because what's Christ's response? When uh, Satan says, all you need to do is kneel down and worship me, he says, get out of here, Satan. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. So the, the, the interpretation from that is clear that what uh, uh, Satan is pointing to, what God is pointing to, is the fact that this temptation is to idolatry, of worshiping or valuing something else instead of God. So Satan shows him the splendors of the world around him. And we're tempted by that, right? We're tempted by the splendors of the world. We are tempted by what the world has to offer. We are tempted by the ease of doing things the world's way. We're tempted by wealth. We're tempted by popularity. And idolatry is anything in our lives that we put in the place of God. And maybe we don't worship it in the same way that we worship God, right? That would be sort of weird. But it's anything we prioritize in our lives above God. So maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's money, right? This desire to have more, just a little bit more. Maybe it's work. You know, you're so engrossed with work that it takes away from your relationship with God or replaces your relationship with God. Maybe it's self. I think we live in a world today that's really big on this, becoming our idol, becoming the thing. You know, just take care of yourself. You're number one. You know, make sure that you're really putting yourself first in everything. Or maybe, conviction for me, it's sports. Or maybe it's video games. Maybe it's family. But the, any of these things can become an idol for us, and that's a problem. Um, think about your life in terms of where you spend your time. Think about your life in terms of where you put your effort. Have you fallen into that temptation of idolatry, of putting something else in your life in the place of most importance? That's the temptation of idolatry. So we've seen, you know, maybe the interpretation of this third temptation is that it's uh, a temptation to avoid difficulty. Maybe it's this idea of this temptation of idolatry, of putting something else in the place of God. Or third, maybe it's this idea of the temptation to power. Satan's offer to Jesus is for illegitimate power. The idea of gaining the kingdoms of the world is not just about the stuff of those kingdoms. It's having authority over them. And we really see this in the corresponding passage in Luke chapter 4. It says there, Luke chapter 4, verse 5, says this, Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you 
if you will worship me. So there's a, the corresponding passage, and it makes clear that it's not just the splendors of these kingdoms that are being offered to Christ. It's the authority over them. Let's think about this question. Who has legitimate power? God, right? And what's amazing, and we see this over and over again, is that in the temptations we experience, the tendency is for us to want to put ourselves in the position of God. And this really comes right from the very first temptation ever recorded in Scripture, which is found in Genesis chapter 3. In that passage, um, Satan comes in the form of a serpent or a snake and approaches Adam and Eve. And this is uh, how it reads, uh, Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat from the trees. This is Eve answering. In the garden, the woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Satan's response, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. There's the temptation, right? We all face it. This idea that we want to put ourselves in the place of God. We want to determine uh, what's right and wrong. We want to be in the position of power that comes with it. We want to put ourselves in the position of God because that gives us control. And in some ways, like, you can almost make this case, like, well, I'm only wanting to use this for good purposes, right? Something, the argument might go like this. If I can just make others do what I want them to do or perhaps what they should do, things would be better, right? <laughs> or perhaps sounding really spiritually, if I can just make them live the way that God wants them to live, you know, things would be a lot better then. And this, um, this is a really great quote uh, from Henry Nouwen. This quote, I th think I forgot to put it on the slide, so I'm going to say it a couple times. Power offers an easy substitute for the hard task of love. Let me say that again. Power offers an easy substitute for the hard task of love. Let's think about the model that Christ gave to us. Philippians chapter 2 describes it. Just think, before he came to earth, Jesus Christ was at the right hand of the Father. He's part of the Godhead. He has all the power of God. And in Philippians chapter 2, it describes it this way. He gives that up gladly to come to earth. He empties himself and becomes like you and I. And he comes to earth and he gives up that power that was rightfully his to take on the form of a servant here on earth. Such a different model than we typically uh, want to embrace. It's tempting to say a lot about this topic. I don't want to say too much. But I worry sometimes that our evangelical church in America is embracing power over God's method, which is love. So we're, we're falling into the temptation of power. It's this idea if we can will or while our way into power, we can somehow make this country a better place. But in many cases, we're failing to lead with love because of our effort to do that. So I want to tell you this, guys, really clearly. Um, what this country needs to be a better place is not Donald Trump. What this country needs to be a better place is not the Republican Party. What this country needs to be a better place is not the Democratic Party either. 
What this country needs to be a better place is Jesus. Let's not forget that in this sort of temptation for power. So we've looked at now the temptation to avoid difficulty, the temptation for idolatry, the temptation for power, and then sort of the fourth way to interpret this passage is this this temptation to do things the world's way, right? Satan brings Jesus up to this mountain and says, all of this can be yours, and all you have to do is do things my way, do things the world's way, embrace my way of thinking about this, and it can be yours. And we face that same kind of temptation. It's a couple of great scriptures that help capture the fact that this kind of temptation goes on a lot. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, we have a great example of it. Samuel is at the end of his life, and he's, he's the last of the judges that God had raised up to oversee the people of Israel. So once the Israelites had gone into the promised land, God raised up a series of judges to serve as political leaders, to serve as military leaders, to be his representatives for the people. But the Israelites weren't really satisfied with that. So it says in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 5, he says there, Look, they told him, the people of Israel talking to Samuel, you are now old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. And Samuel's sort of hurt by this, right? He knows this is not God's plan. So he goes to the Lord and says, I don't want to do this. And God says to him, hey, they've been sinning since the day. They've been asking for this kind of thing since the day they left Egypt. And uh, and I'm going to give it to them and they're going to see the consequences of the decision that they've made. So Samuel goes back to the people and he warns them. And he says, this is going to be what happens. Your king's going to tax you. He's going to take your kids. He's going to uh, take a portion of your crops. It's going to be, your people are going to have to serve in military conflict because of this. Um, And the people respond in verse 19 of that same passage. But the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, we still want a king, they said. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. Isn't that our tendency, right? To fall into this temptation of wanting to do things the world's way. We don't want to stand out in any kind of way. I do want to share another story from scripture, though, of somebody that faced the same temptation and made a very different choice. So we skip ahead uh, several generations, and uh, the people in Judah had in Jerusalem had been captured by the Babylonians. Babylonians had destroyed Jerusalem, taken a portion of the people into captivity into Babylon. And the king of Babylon decides he wants to start a new leadership program. He's really excited about taking the best of his own people, the best of the uh, different nations that he's captured, young people who are uh, aspiring, have uh, great intellect, great ability, and can be leaders within his kingdom. And so he selects a group of his people, and in that group was a guy named Daniel and three of his friends. And they're chosen for this really amazing opportunity. It's like the Ivy League experience of its day. It's this opportunity to be educated with the very brightest and best, and the temptation in that environment to embrace the world's way of thinking, to to embrace the thinking of Babylon, the approach to knowledge, the approach to... um, the, uh, uh, how problems were to be solved, even the way the diet was going to be structured and set up was the Babylonian perspective. And Daniel had to face a temptation in that moment because he knew that this wasn't God's way. And in one particular way he knew that was he knew that the uh, standards for 
eating were not what was existed for him as a Jewish male. And it says in Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse 8, but Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for, for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel, but he responded, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I always figured Daniel got lucky because the other three dudes have really weird names. But anyway, um, verse 12, please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed, agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. I love this story, though, because you have to understand the pressure that he's experiencing. I mean, the guy that he's talking to about it in the first place is worried about being beheaded. I mean, we're talking about a power that's significant, and it's not just, not just the power side of it. It's the prestige side of it as well. I mean, he's in this program that's going to put him amongst some of the top leaders of the whole nation of Babylon, who is the great superpower of its day. You have to believe that Daniel was under an enormous amount of power, uh, temptation and pressure in that moment. And I, what I like about it, too, is he chooses a strategy that doesn't say simply thumb his nose at the Babylon king. He actually has a reasoned approach that leads to him being able to overcome that temptation. So we have these examples in Scripture of people who are being tempted by the uh, doing things the world's way. Do we experience that temptation today? Yeah, right? In our churches even. I think there's this temptation to use psychology and sociology to explain away our problems, explain away the reality of guilt, explain away the problem of evil. Doesn't mean those think fields are bad by any means. That's not what I'm saying. But when the, the world's approach to some of those topics is to say, your problem is not that you're guilty. Your problem is that you're feeling guilt. And we can help you get away from that. The reality of our condition, guys, the reality is that every single one of us is born a sinner, incapable of pleasing a holy God. And the only way that we get right with God is by accepting the gift of his son that's been given on our behalf, of asking for repentance, of, of uh, going, becoming in right relationship with him. It's not just those terms. We also think like the world does. We act like the world does when it comes to power and politics. That it's a zero-sum game where power is everything. We want to live the way the world does. We adopt the ways world of thinking, the, ways world, the world's way of living, and the world's way of relating to one another. Is it any wonder, then, that our American churches are powerless and corrupted and filled with lonely people? The temptation to do things the world's way. So you might have been sitting here today and you're like, well, I agreed with your first point, but not your second point, whatever. You know, there's four ways of looking at this third temptation, right? This, the temptation to avoid difficulty, the temptation of idolatry, the temptation uh, of power, or the temptation to do things the world's way. But regardless of which of those interpretations is correct or if all of them are correct, I think there's an answer to it. The book that we'd used in, as part of the support for the sermon series called this answer, Theological Reflection. 
that if we practice theological reflection, it, it puts us in a position to be able to overcome or deal with this particular temptation. And the theological reflection. Theology is just the study over the knowledge of God. So the idea of it is that we respond to this temptation, this third temptation of being offered everything that the world has by understanding the heart and mind of Christ, of understanding God and his perspective, understanding his word, aspiring to recognize what he is doing, attempting to understand an aspect, aspects of who he is. And I think there's three things that will come when we do that. First, we begin to understand his power, right? When we're surrounded by temptation, when we're dealing with tough stuff in life, there's nothing better than to recognize and see the power of God. And when we read scripture, we see how he's worked in similar situations in the past, and that should give us hope for what we're dealing with in our own life today. Or when we hear testimonies from friends, we can see that God is at work and recognize his power. So we understand his power, we understand his purpose. What does it say? God's desire is that all people would come to repentance. He's all about his kingdom building work. We get fixated on whether so-and-so's in power or so-and-so's in power in America and whoa, this, you know, our country is, you know, horrible things are happening and all this kind of stuff. God's about his kingdom. He's not about the United States of America. He's about his kingdom work, which is all about seeing people come to faith in him and being restored to right relationship and knowing the joy and peace that comes with that. So we understand his power. We understand his purpose. We understand his plan. When we're in the middle of it and tough stuff is going on and we reflect on the fact that history has an arc. It's going in a direction. And then at some point, there's going to be a trumpet sound. All of us who are in Christ will be raised to life with him in glory in heaven. Those who've died before will come as well. And uh, it will usher in the reign of Christ, the fulfillment of that whole offer that Satan's given him, that all of this can be yours. All of it will be his, and that's his plan. Let's close in a word of prayer as the worship team comes up. God, we struggle with this temptation to be um, shown the world by Satan and, and desire it, right? Whether it's because we see that as a shortcut in some kind of way, whether we um, want to put something in the place of you in our worship, Lord, where we, we it's idolatry uh, that we're tempted by, or the temptation for power, the temptation to do things the world's way. Lord, we give that all to you and we want to see things your way. We want to understand things your way. Lord, we want to be so um, in your word, so deeply in your word, Lord, that we can understand you, your direction, and your purpose in our lives, Lord. We want to be about your kingdom-building work. And I just ask, Lord, that each person here would recognize that need for a Savior, the need to be in right relationship with you, and the joy and the peace that that brings. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.